Hello? Hey. All right, you ready? Mic check. Three, two, one. All right, man. Welcome back to Keeping It Simple. And my name is Muntin Patel, and this is Jack, my one of my good friends. And today we'll be talking about coronavirus. And, you know, before we get started, uh, you know, we were talking about how we're going to talk about what this podcast entails and what we're going to do in this podcast. And I'll let Jack talk about our future plans of this podcast. Yeah, so... Like Manton said, like we decided on the name, didn't we? We got, yes, we got we keep, did. we got keep it simple. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I'm excited about this. Are you? I'm, I know. I you know I'm excited. I, so. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited. You know, like because one of the thing with this podcast, me and Jack has talked about this in a in a very like a lot a lot of times and for a long 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 conversation about this. And it's you know we're not trying to gain any money out of this. Nothing monetary. It's just to improve ourselves, educate ourselves, and you know utilize our knowledge and what we learn and break it down in a simple uh, layman's term and so we can you know discuss it and let other people also receive and understand the knowledge you know so yeah I mean I think the profession we chose like going into the field of medicine mm-hmm. specifically being a doctor I, I'm, I'm fascinated with this stuff every day and I think it doesn't get enough credit and I think this is a great platform to where we can make those interesting things heard by tons of people and hopefully you know just mm-hmm. anybody listening I hope that I want to put out something where they get we both do where they want to get something out of it and just translating these things yeah go ahead go ahead i mean and the thing with this podcast is that me and him have discussed is that we don't want to keep it to one general idea of medicine we want to discuss about what's going on in the stock market economy medicine and you know like maybe like new songs or culture or like protests like whatever is going on in the world we will you know we'll do some of our research we'll you know share our ideas and thoughts and you know sometimes we can bring our guests uh, someone who is more involved in the field. So if it's like science, we can have our professors or if it's the stock market, one of our good friends who have like, you know, majored in finance at MSU and doing something big. You know, we can have anyone come on our podcast, talk about these complex ideas and simplify it. So not only me and Jack can take something out of it, but also you guys can take something out of it. Exactly. And it doesn't want to be too serious. Like you don't have to take out your notepad. Obviously, yeah. we're doing this for fun. And <laughs> We you don't can, know everything, but we yeah, can you can just be driving your car it. and just listen to me and Jack. Yeah, so I guess without any further ado, this is episode two of Keep It Simple, and we got a special treat here today. We got a brilliant article that was published in Nature, which mm-hmm. is a very prestigious journal. It's like I was thinking about this earlier. It's like if you get published in Nature, uh-huh. it's like signing like a shoe deal with like Nike, like as an athlete. You know, it's like yeah, it's like you you want to yeah. be published in Nature. So and Nature, a little and little. Uh, little personal note me and jack have done some research past that in college at msu and you know uh as an undergrad it was our goal just to be published but you know it was one of our top tier goal to be published in these like you know prestigious uh journals yeah. like nature so like reading them and hopefully in future as you know medical students or doctors we at least get you know a publication and publish into journals like nature or you know a new Cell, yeah. science yeah those are those are the big guys like adidas nike and you know yeah. Say jump man and throw them out there. Like, mm-hmm. Shout out to the basketball crew and stuff like that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but anyways, man, published in Nature. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what else are we going to talk about? Like, we're going to talk about coronavirus. Um, so, one of the things that I was reading this paper and I was, uh, you know, just thinking about how to lay this information out and, you know, so people can understand and just like a little roadmap so people can follow through, uh, you know, through what we're thinking about in our thought process. So, I was thinking, you know, yeah, yeah, one of the yeah. biggest things when uh, me and Jack both read it, you know, what we got out of this is that science is, you know, just like anything is created by humans, right? Like while we do experiments, we see new correlations, causal and effects. And the thing with coronaviruses that we're we're seeing from these papers and new articles being published, that is very, you know, changing. It's not like constant. Oh, this is what coronavirus is and this is how it's going to be for the rest of our life. It's changing every single day, every single week. There's new information, new research coming up. Some Something new, some contradicting the past. So today we're going to be talking about something like that. It's like, you know, how we classify a patient as a positive coronavirus patient or a symptomatic or asymptomatic coronavirus patient. And then after that, you know, we can just talk about how this is affecting a normal life and how people are taking this information and applying it into their real life. Like it could be, you know, just like normal people like me me and Jack and you, or it could be 
you know, like people up ahead of us making policies. How are they taking this information and applying it in the real world? Yeah. So that's what we'll be talking about. Very today. critical. And I think this article does a fantastic job of it. Obviously, like we mentioned, published in Nature. Uh, so we know it's, it, there's some good content here. So yes. without further ado, the title of the paper is called Clinical and Immunological Assessment of Asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 Infections. And this paper was written by Long Etal. And you can find this pager, paper on Nature looking up that title. And so one of the things that this paper tried to get into mm -hmm. was they were trying to compare the immunological, which basically looking at the cytokines and all the antibodies of a symptomatic COVID patient and an asymptomatic COVID patient. Because that's a big difference, right? Yep, yep. That's a very big difference. Because And that's a very hot topic. If you look into news, people are talking about asymptomatic, symptomatic. And, you know, a normal person does, doesn't know what it is. And Yeah. How, how do you not know what coronavirus is at this point? You know, like, yeah. you got to know about it. And it's scary, too. Like, I'm worried about getting coronavirus. You hear the stories mm -hmm. about people, the deaths piling up, especially right now with a, another spike coming up. It, these these, oh, these fears are coming yeah. back into place. So they people are like, it went away for like it didn't go away, but died down a little bit. And now it's coming back. Land the curve, it, and now so, it's coming back again. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's interesting. This virus, as serious as it can be for somebody, it can be completely asymptomatic for somebody else. And when we say asymptomatic, that just means they are literally presenting with no symptoms. So but they still like, have viral. Uh, infection or viral uh, particles inside their lungs. They're in asymptomatic. And they can give it to somebody yes, too. Yes. And I think that's what's kind of interesting. And that's why we, uh, you know, talked about talking about this topic was kind of interesting because, you know, we hear it in the news all the time. So in this article, you can follow along if you, uh, you know, just type the article name like Jack said. And what it, what it mm -hmm. basically talks about is that asymptomatic patients are, you know, generally accumulate about 20% of the population while I was reading this here. So this study, um, was conducted in China. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, right? It's con uh, yeah, corrected in China. Yep. It's like a Wenzhou district uh, in China, yep. and it was about 2,000 patients chosen in this uh, study. And what they uh, when when they uh, when they uh, sampled these patients, they used Q uh, real time PCR. It's just one of the ways uh, to see if they had viral infection or this DNA present in their body to identify if. The person was positive or negative for COVID-19. It could be uh, this test can test for asymptomatic and symptomatic patient, which is kind of important because, yep. you know, we always talk about what is this and how do you identify? Well, this test identifies both. And if you do this test, then you can know if you have COVID-19 or not for sure. So yep. in this test, they uh, sampled about 2000 patients. And from that, they got about 20 patients uh, to be positive. And out of that, 20%, sorry, 20%. So it was about 170, sorry, uh, I'm, I'm getting my numbers mixed, mixed up here real quick. That's right. okay. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is out of the 2,000 pa uh, patients, it was about 178 that were positive, And out of them, 20% were asymptomatic. Yeah, so that 20% number is a very important number when we're looking at this. And one quick note for this mm -hmm. paper, which is important, whenever you're looking at numbers and you're seeing percentages, it's really quickly, uh, it's really easy to just take those percentages and just really internalize them and think that's okay. That's the percentage. Like, okay, all cases of coronavirus are asymptomatic. But one thing good about this paper is that they actually explain it. Like you want to be, when you're reading, you're supposed to take it with a grain of salt. So yeah, maybe that range, but they, they warned about in this paper. Yeah. That, hey, it could be higher. It could be lower based on other factors. That's just what we got in this paper. So and we're not we'll saying talk that about all, these factors yeah. so you can, you know, really understand and really apply it by yourself in the real world because you know we don't want to force anything down you we just want to give you the enough knowledge and you can use that to see the world around you so basically what this paper talks about uh is the differences between the asymptomatic and symptomatic so you know like i said there was about 2,000 patients about 178 that's about eight percent of the people being sampled were positive and out of the eight percent 20 percent were asymptomatic and the 80 were symptomatic okay and so as they move forward they did a lot of testing they did a lot of like radiological laboratory findings and you know they even used some uh virology testing just to figure out you know what were the differences between the patients who were asymptomatic and symptomatic like immunological or physical like you could see so physical you can you we already know that they have differences which that they don't present with any of these symptoms of uh, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, and along those lines, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, but the differences in the immunological, like inside the body they saw was, you know, one of the biggest one was that they were able to shed, 
I mean, they meaning asymptomatic patients were able to do viral shedding for a longer period of time. They say viral shedding, meaning like, you know, when you're just talking to a normal person and you're call, like you accidentally cough or sneeze or, you know, you say something re- really loud. Like, you know, sometimes the particles uh, out of your mouth comes out like, you know, so it could be viral shedding or it could be anything. So in this in, in this sense, if the patient is asymptomatic versus symptomatic, asymptomatic patients. Seem to- before before we okay. go down to that road, let's 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 go back and let's look at the study, because those are the results True. of the study. We don't want to okay. get to right. that point until we set up what they actually right. did right. here. So when they took those 178 patients, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, they took the, the, they took the 37 patients who were asymptomatic, but tested positive using the RT PCR yes. that you talked about, which basically they try to match up the RNA of the virus and they using a primer and they get their sequence and it's a positive mm-hmm. boom. Yes. You got it. Boom. You don't. And then they look at the patient themselves if they're symptomatic. And so one thing I want to, the reason why I'm saying it is one thing I want to make clear is how patients were grouped into the asymptomatic group. These patients had absolutely no symptoms at all related to COVID. If they had any mild or just very slight symptoms, they were excluded mm-hmm. from the study. And so what they did is when they got those 37 mm-hmm. people, they took 37 patients who were matched, who were symptomatic with COVID. They matched them for factors such as age, gender, and um, other risk factors. Yeah. So other- they took these types of patients, put them in groups, and then they also got another group also age and gender match and other factors of people who didn't have coronavirus at all when they were doing running all these assessments. And then they did all their studies. And I think you were getting right into it, talking about the viral shedding, which I thought was really, really right. interesting. Like that was the one thing in this paper. I was like, oh, that really shocked me. Because I mean, viral shedding, like, go ahead and talk about what that is and how, what the yeah. impact so of I that think- is. Yeah, if so somebody, I think what you did was yeah. kind of like uh, important. You you laid it out into three groups. So uh, real quick, there were three groups, like Jack said. One was asymptomatic, uh, didn't have anything, but they still had viral infection inside their lungs, but didn't show any characteristic. One was symptomatic, and one was didn't have any coronavirus, right? So in that one, they wanted to distinguish from the first two groups, like any other differences inside our body. And like I was talking about viral shedding. Um, so from the study, what it showed in the results was that asymptomatic patients were able to shed virus uh, for a very long period of time. Like it's a significant, lo- significant uh, longer duration of virus sh- shedding. And it was about 24 days median. And for symptomatic was 19, which is kind of very long. And it was saying the longest. So five days, yeah, longer. five days longer. And the longest day that was seen was from an asymptomatic patient it was 45 days, which is kind of crazy. That's nuts because one thing they do talk about, though, is just because somebody is capable to viral shed, basically what that means is like when they are talking or like shedding basically means is that the viral load, the virus itself is leaving its host. And they talk about three different levels of virus yeah. shedding, one being it from the specific cell where the virus is infected. And basically when viruses go in, they take over the machinery of the cell and they make a bunch of copies mm-hmm. of themselves and then yeah. they expunge it when they become That's active. True. So that's one level of shedding. The second level of shedding can be from the organ itself where the cell is located. Mm-hmm. And then the last form of shedding is how a disease spreads from people to people is when it actually leaves the right. host or the human body itself and goes to somebody else. And so that's what they talk about is shedding. But they also talk about how just because somebody is shedding doesn't mean they're infectious. And that takes another type of test to do that, to make sure that the virus can survive and the in the air and stuff like that. So that's a qualifier they make, which is very good in this paper. So how would you differentiate between those two? Like you're saying infectious and uh, uh, just shedding. Like, you know, so you were were showing two distinctions between those two groups. And uh, were you able to see that much distinction or any important differences between them? Basically what the researchers say, they don't go too far in depth with it, which I was kind of like upset about because it's a great point that they bring up. They say word for word, they say, however, measurable virus shedding does not equate with viral infectivity and further evaluation is needed to determine the respiratory SARS-CoV-2 viral load that is correlated with vulnerable virus. So they're actually using, that's a typo there. They should be talking about COVID-19. Yeah, so I mean, right there, Um, I put a star next to it too because I I wrote interesting uh, right next to it. And I want to talk to you about it. So what I I got out of this was that, you know, even though virus shedding, like you explained, just leaving it from your body was present, but infection is not present maybe because the amount of virus in that little droplet that's coming out of your mouth, you know, might not be enough. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's what I was thinking. That's a good point. So maybe there, maybe in this one, what, what I was taking in was that 
people who, you know, were, didn't have the virus, like, you know, for example, I'm not talking about asymptomatic or symptomatic, just didn't have the virus, but they just had some type of shedding for no reason. Uh, it wasn't significant enough probably to infect other people, even though they had some shedding, you know, but it wasn't uh, significant enough in the droplet that, that was being spread out, maybe, you know? Yeah, I, it's 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 pretty interesting that I mean, it's just crazy to think about that. When you look, when you think about COVID and you think about the people suffering from it, you think about the symptomatic people who are in the hospitals needing to be constantly monitored, need IV solution, all these other things to keep their health to stay alive. And then the people who are showing no symptoms actually are more dangerous to the public than the people who are dying from it, which, which is crazy because especially in a social environment where people aren't feeling sick, if you're not sick, you're not going to. Like, how can you know you're sick without feeling sick as a, as and a normal person? I think, I think this paper also does a great job. During the end of the paper, it talks about how the percent, like I said in the beginning, uh, about 100 patients mm-hmm. out of the 2,000 patients, 100 patients were positive. And out of the 100 patients, about 30 or 20% of them were, you know, asymptomatic. But the paper said in the end was that this number is not like an overall general term. Because the thing is, in this study, they were able to find the asymptomatic patients because they uh, were testing people who are already sick, you know? So they, they, they were going to test yes. them no matter what. But it's not random testing. There's two distinctions. And we'll get into that later exactly. on in the paper. But there are two distinctions, meaning that, you know, if you do random, random sampling, then you are, you know, testing what the population is currently right now. But in this one, they basically, I'll give an example. If someone in your family or someone that you know has COVID-19, they're obviously going to, you know, test other people around him, like his parents or his kids or whatever it is. So doing that and the other people are not showing any symptoms. And then if they are positive, they're asymptomatic, right? But that's not random sampling. You were going to do them anyway, and they were going to be presented no matter what. So it's not the whole country as a whole or the whole world as a whole. So it's just like kind of biased a little. So we'll talk about that more later on, like what type of testing should be done and what the importance there are. But these are distinctions that was making in the paper. Yeah, and that was a great point to bring up too. I mean, not only just thinking about the impact of that too, just not knowing when somebody's sick and then still having the ability to make other people sick and other people symptomatic. The, the paper doesn't talk about that, about how effective a asymptomatic case transferring to a symptomatic person or a non-infected person, whether that can cause the same type of symptoms or an asymptomatic case. I assume that you can still make somebody very sick if you're asymptomatic, which is scary. scary. I mean, it's, it's scary because people will walk around all day if they're not if they're not sick they'll they'll go to the store you know maybe they'll go get their car washed like they'll do things and then those people will do things okay also not you sick. know like for example you said car wash so, yeah the car washing guy you see you talk to him for about 20 30 minutes and after that the guy is also going to talk to his co-workers his wife family it's like a whole chain of things you know that's why the quarantine was track that down you know, a thing yeah the only time you can get that is if those people end up getting symptomatic. But what if they all stay asymptomatic and then they finally give it to somebody through a crazy butterfly effect, which yeah. we know can happen to somebody who has those risk factors and all of a sudden that they have yeah. to be hospitalized. So it's just, it's just crazy. It's, 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 and I think that's all from this paper showing that. I just thought it was just nuts that people who are showing no symptoms in this paper had significantly longer time periods where they were viral shedding, which means they have the chance, not saying that they are infectious, but they have the chance to be infectious for a longer period of time than the people who are presenting. And I think that's scary. Very, like, this yeah, virus is already yeah. scaring enough. It just got mm-hmm. a whole lot. Oh, 100%. And, hearing that. and like because, I said, the paper also goes, the next part of the paper talks about, you know, the differences. Let's talk about the cytokines. Let's talk about the cytokines and those, which is kind of like us in the medicine background. This would yeah, make sense to yeah. us. Just so a little we'll bit just talk about it briefly. There was less but, you know, we'll still give you a condensed yeah, information yeah, yeah. of what I was trying to persuade to, you know, the readers. So basically, I can just, you know, break it down a little and then Jack can do a little bit more. But yeah. what I was trying to say is that with the cytokines, uh, what it's supposed to do, like I said, we're trying to distinguish internal differences between these two also, right? So cytokines gives us another yes. layer of information and another layer of distinction that we can make between asymptomatic and symptomatic. So it talks about so cytokines, I can just uh, give you a basic uh, explanation of what cytokines are. Cytokines are basically released from one cell to another cell or immune cell, to be more specific. 
so, you know, your immune cells is what protects you from the outside pathogens like bacteria, viruses, and all, all sorts of things, right? So for the immune cells mm -hmm. to communicate with other immune cells to kill or proliferate or generate more of the immune cell, they release cytokines. That's their messaging system, right? So how we talk to each other is English. They talk via cytokines. So they release these cytokines, yep. and then you can learn a lot about what's going on in the body by just looking at cytokines. So for example, if... Yeah, measuring, yes, level, measuring the yeah. level. So if there's a lot of pro-inflammatory, meaning uh, increased immune system uh, cytokines being uh, produced, that means uh, the body is going through a big infection or going through a virus, like, you know, going through a lot of things and immune cells are being proliferated and a lot of responses are going on in your body. And if you go, if you go down to more specific, specific cytokines, you get to know what immune cells are activated and which ones are not activated. And, you, you know, you can, from that, you can, you know, draw a whole chart of what, where the disease is playing out and how the person is fighting the disease. And maybe taking that, you can apply to another person, help them out, maybe, you know, by giving this cytokine or that cytokine or maybe giving some type of other dose. But basically... And it's Very super complex. complex. That's why it's we super only complex talk talk. But they, they go into broad yeah. categories. They're like pro and anti-inflammatory. And mm -hmm. that's what they're looking at mm -hmm. for this paper. Specifically, it's comparing the levels of right. pro-inflammatory, which increase an immune uh -huh. response. And then anti-inflammatory, which is a double-edged sword, you know, immune, immune response. response. Sword. Yeah. But that's like as simple as you can put it. There's two broad classes of the cytokines. The ones that increase the response are like make your body become more attack the virus get it out and then defensive it's like okay protect yourself anti-inflammatory less noise less less and action. there's importance so, for both of them and, this and you know that there's importance for both of the sides because you want pro-inflammatory when you're presented with the virus but you don't want the immune system to keep on attacking even after the virus is gone that's why the importance of anti-inflammatory is also there you know it could you could you could uh kill your cells you kill your tissues and that could do more harm than help you know that's why there's importance to both sides, and that's why they talk about what's really going on in the body. And in this one, you can see the asymptomatic patients. Uh, I don't know if you guys are following through, but you can look at it. Figure three, it shows that, you know, asymptomatic patients had about lower percent of uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines in the beginning, meaning acute phase. But as it goes down, uh, they had higher in the convolucent phase. Which Jack can Jack, Jack explained to me really good uh, over the phone, and he can do a better job again on the podcast. And I'll let him do it. Uh, what the difference between the two faces are? Yeah. Yeah. Before you go any further, like we're just looking at just to finish up right here with the. It makes sense what we're seeing, what these results are showing us. They're showing us that the people who are asymptomatic, they had less cytokines, right? And especially the pro-inflammatory cytokines, they had significantly lower levels of cytokines across a whole <laughs> bunch of pro-inflammatory yeah. ones. And, and I, I don't know specifically with the anti-inflammatory, but mainly the pro-inflammatory cytokines were a lot less. And yeah. that makes sense. If you have a lot of pro-inflammatory cytokines, you're going to be showing symptoms of being That's affected. True. Like fever, your body is actively yeah, trying like to get fever, rid of it. Hard, yep. hard to breathe and all that, all that stuff will be showing. Like you, you can see it from the patient without even looking inside his body. You can see it physically, which makes sense. Yeah. So that didn't surprise me. I'm sure it didn't yeah. surprise you. Um, why some, if some asymptomatic versus symptomatic now i don't know why one person could be symptomatic and asymptomatic with the same strain that's a whole other story and that's kind of what yeah. we're trying to figure out here with this whole vaccine talk and stuff so that's a that, that made sense to us and then but we were talking about the two different phases yeah. and this relates back to the viral setting so what's important of this paper and i think if they do a really good job of is that they discuss that Okay, yeah, there's two types of people who get infected with disease. And there's a range. It's like a continuum. It's not binary. So you can be asymptomatic and then symptomatic. And every, you can fall anywhere in between. You know, the worst, the, the best case scenario being asymptomatic entirely. And then the worst case scenario, obviously dying from this <laughs> disease. Um, people fall all, all along this, this yeah, spectrum. Yeah, like everything. But you know, they there's talk no... about how you can still be a danger. 100%. Yes. Right? Um, so... As the paper yeah. talks about, too, you know, like the importance of uh, differences in uh, cytokine levels are also shown in the other two groups where, like, like I said, there are three total groups, right? There were normal patients who were, who were negative, uh, you know, with the physical characteristic and the viral infection. And there were asymptomatic, which were negative for the physical characteristic, but positive 
with the vir viral uh, particles present in the body. And they were symptomatic, which were positive for both mm -hmm. of those two things. So, you know, when they were doing comparisons between the cytokines level between the normal patient and asymptomatic, surprisingly, which I thought they both had the same type of levels. So, for example, uh, a person who is normal, like just like very normal, like wouldn't have that much of pro-inflammatory response because their body doesn't need to fight off any viruses or bacteria every single minute of their day. So that's yeah. why they don't have, you know, you have to keep, it's like a balance, right? So if there's a lot of inflammatory cells in your body, that means they're killing something. And sometimes it might kill the virus or bacteria, or sometimes it kill, harms you. That's why you want to keep it under the range. That's why in a normal patient, it's very under the level. And which was kind of surprising that it was more similar, the asymptomatic people, cytokines that were mm -hmm. more similar for a normal patient compared to symptomatic. That's what's, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, that's a great point. And now you were talking about the two phases. So basically the two phases were just like time periods. Mm -hmm. And so the acute phase is one of the phases they group people in. And that's the period that they specify as when the viral RNA can be found in a respiratory specimen. So that's like one of those swabs that that's the general route of testing. If I'm not, you could correct me if I'm wrong. That's what they do. They take that basically like a Q-tip and they shove that thing down you, down your, down your nose, and they give you a nasopharyngeal right. swab. And then they they test that for the corona using the PCR, RT-PCR to test for the presence of the virus. So if you can if you can uh, test positive on that, you're in the acute phase of the virus. So that's what mm. they're saying here. The respiratory tract, or just like when you're sneezing, you can cough all over it. So and then the second phase was the early convalescent phase and just the convalescent phase and basically what they said that was it was eight weeks after they were discharged from the hospital so the patient itself so that's a, that's a pretty broad it's a pretty uh big range and so then they look at the levels of igg which whenever you see ig that's another cytokine it's also called an immunoglobin hence the ig and that's one of the main ones igg and igm are the two ones they so look what at are in this paper so they're just for, very common. Just for the listeners, just like, from, it just means that to, they're just cytokines. Yeah. That just means that, you know, uh, a way a cell is communicating with the other. And this is one of the signal that it's sending. And a lot of scientists can take that signal and understand what type of signaling they're doing and what are they telling one cell to the other. Yeah, it's just a specific type of um, antibody that our body produces. There's multiple classes. G and M happen to be very common ones, and that's probably why they're testing for those two ones right. specifically here. But what we saw in the difference between the two phases, the acute and the convalescent, was that the asymptomatic group pretty much stayed the same um, when they tested them from the uh, the groups. Like when they tested them from the acute phase, or they they both. Am I looking at the right figure here? Are you looking at yes, figure three yes, right yes, now, figure three. So. What it, what, it, what it was basically Jack is trying to say is that, you know, asymptomatic patients for IgG, IgG levels, like I said in the beginning, were kind of lower for asymptomatic patients. And, and yeah, there we go. And we I go. think they also did IgM. Yes, they also did IgM, which was uh, surprisingly same as the symptomatic and asymptomatic. But the whole paper with the figure four and figure three, the last figure and the second to last figure, they both just talks about different levels of cytokine in the body. So we're trying to say is that there are some differences between the cytokine levels. So yeah. the whole premise of this paper was that how do we distinguish between a uh, asymptomatic and symptomatic patient internally and externally? So internally, you can do it through cytokines. Uh, th there's uh, 30 different tests of different cytokines they did. So, you know, you can do a profiling of all these cytokines in a, in a week span, and then you can really figure out what type of... Uh, asymptomatic or symptomatic patient is but you know one doesn't need to do all that because like we talked about in the beginning is that you can do qt uh, real-time pcr which can tell you if the person is symptomatic oh sorry if it's positive or negative and then you can just look at his external features you if, if you, you can just ask him are is, are is it hard to breathe can you uh you know do you have fever and all these things and you can you can figure out if this person is symptomatic or asymptomatic positive you know, so yeah. this paper just goes more in depth and it's usually just for, you know, researchers and uh, or just people who are more interested in this paper. But what I, the reason we talked about this paper, I think it talks about in the end. The reason we decided to choose this paper was mm -hmm. that it talks about how this percentages and these numbers change almost every single month based on country, based on the location. So what, what it's trying to say is that because this disease is very new. We don't know what it entails. We don't know what the real yeah. percentages are. We don't know what the real numbers are even. We just know what's right now from the 2,000 patients that they have sampled in China somewhere. 
So, you know, there's different types of studies going on yeah. in Singapore, United States, Europe, India, anywhere and everywhere, different type of research is going on. And there are different strands of that virus also present uh, in different, different locations. So the severity and the infectious rate of these viruses are also going to be different. So the, the reason we chose this yes. was just for public knowledge is that, you know, science is what's right now, what, what, what the human race and what the uh, scientists know right now, you know, it doesn't mean it's, uh, you know, written in stone and it'll never change. It, like you said, like it's changing every single month, every single week. So because very new, you know, that's why there's some confusion between the public too about what's going on, how long you got to stay home, 14 days, 24 days, or, you know, should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Who should wear a mask? Like there's a lot of different things going on in the news and everything. And the problem that we also entail sometimes in the real world is that some person might just read this one paper today and then put something out in the news. And the other person might read something, you know, a few months later and put that in that, put it in the news and there'll be conflicting ideas and no one really knows what's going on. And, you know, that's what we deal with sometimes yeah. Fox News or CNN. And that's why we want to talk about this, that nothing is kind of permanent. People are still trying to figure things out. Like I said in the beginning when I was saying that. Yeah, you make a gate. And I think before you go too far down the, down the stretch yeah. about that, one of, the, one of the things you brought up was talking about how long people are quarantining after being infected or being exposed to somebody who has been infected. And that's one thing they bring up at the very end of this paper. And I think it's really important. And so I think we should go into that a little bit before we start talking about the broader effects on society and stuff like that. And so they talk about the strength and duration of this immunity after infection are the key issues for shield immunity. And so that's one thing they bring up at the very end yeah. of this paper. And so, yeah, they talk about how these people like, once they become, they recover from this disease and, or this virus, how can they, how soon can they go back to their, their normal lives? And you're, you're exactly right. Like this virus mm -hmm. is brand new. You know, we don't know how, what the long lasting effects of this, we can only use previous COVID infections or coronavirus infections, such as the MERS or the, uh, the COVID-2 infections, SARS, SARS, which uh, right. happened in the early 2000s. And the thing is, yeah. too, like we were talking about so, in the beginning of the podcast, was that, you know, the viral shedding for asymptomatic patient is higher and they're shedding more for longer periods of time. But the paper also says it doesn't usually mean that more infection is being happening. It just means they're shedding more. And the paper also says that we need to do more research on this. So what, what, what it's coming down to is that we really don't know. So the best thing and the take-home message from this is that we really don't know. But the best thing you can do in this uh, situation is protect yourself. Protect yourself. Proceed yeah, with proceed caution. With That's exactly yeah. right. Per uh, proceed with caution for your family. Protect, protect them from this and yourself, you know. Like, so if you wear your mask and you wash your hands frequently, you sh you're going to decrease the prevalence and the spreading of the virus significantly. Yeah. And it's just interesting how they, they, they don't go out and specifically say that shield immunity is bad or it's a bad practice, but they're kind of like, warning. Yeah. they're like, Hey, even though previous, they talk about it, even though previous coronavirus, such as the mirrors and the mm -hmm. SARS where these antibodies, these basically the circling antibodies, once you get sick with the disease, this, this happens a lot. Like, it's like a vaccine where you get exposed to uh, antibodies or you get exposed to the virus itself and you make your own antibodies, you become immune to that disease going forward. And those antibodies don't last forever in your body. It's not like a one and done type thing. And you have to get, that's why we have to go back and get like hep B vaccines. I know you're probably doing it for medical mm -hmm. school right now and getting all these vaccinations oh, yeah. up to date, because even though you've done them in the past, yeah. you need to, redo it because these antibodies they, they have a, they have a memory and so basically i was talking to my physician my family physician about this i think uh tetanus shot you have to do it every 10 years so what it is is that we do create so annoying. yeah so annoying. and those kind of hurt too to be honest i was kind of like sore on my shoulder <laughs> for a couple of days and i was like do you like shots uh, it was it wasn't it wasn't that bad to be honest but who likes shots? Yeah, I know. So, like, I don't know anybody that like stares at a needle going into you. <laughs> I mean, that might be a warning factor that, oh, do you like needles then? You know, it could lead to other things. But what, what I'm trying to say with the... Yeah, no one likes needles. Yeah, what I'm trying to say with this vaccine is that, you know, they all have a memory or a lifespan that your body will uh, store that information or will have these antibodies in your body for a certain amount of time. After that, your body will 
generally just get rid of them because you haven't been exposed. So the body uh, works this way. You know, if you don't need them, why keep them? Because to keep something going on your body requires energy. And our body wants to be the most yeah. efficient machine ever. So it will keep something if, if it really thinks uh, 10 years is a lot, you know. So if, if you don't get, you know, exposed to it in 10 years, then you're just going to lose it, which is all right. You know, you can always yeah. get revaccinated. And some, some of them are even longer, though. You know, some are shorter, some are longer. But the general area... Uh, year is 10 years for most vaccines. So, yeah. And they talk about here that, so the, the warning they gave you and Manton is exactly right. Talking about how these things like they can disappear And this, these, the researchers in this paper, they're like, maybe we shouldn't be doing, be so aggressive with like coming out with these policies and like these one trick me- like mechanisms to like prevent being infected. Because even though the SARS coronavirus and the MERS coronavirus, the antibodies lasted for like a year or even two years. They report that in less mm-hmm. than what this it was it was up to three months. I think they said as long as four weeks after there was the exact day. I don't want to misspeak on it where they talked about how these antibodies were oh within two to three months the SARS coronavirus they were starting to oh increase. okay okay I see so that they want people to be aware of this that you could still come out and be infectious and reinfect people. And you can't just automatically assume that you're invincible uh, for the rest of your life. Once you I get see. sick. So it could be something like a flu, like, you know, like how we uh, get flu every year. This could be one of those ways where, uh, you know, it, it could be one of the flus, quote unquote, you know, I'm just saying it in like a very generic term. It doesn't mean it's a flu. Flus are different viruses, but I'm just saying it could be one of those type of things where, you know, we just have to get revaccinated almost every year, even who knows? Like, like I said, we really don't know. And the stuff that we do know right now is based on studies that are happening in small areas over the whole country or or, or the whole world, you know? Like one study is happening in America, in the United Kingdom, Italy. Like it's, it's, it's based on that population, what they're seeing at that moment. And from that yeah. research, like I said, from what we saw in this research, research, it says IgE levels were higher, IgM was higher. So with this, you can, you know, uh, come up with different uh, drug alternatives to help the patient and alleviate their problems, right? That's what, one thing you can take from this information. But like I said, it's not st- set in stone and it could change almost every week. And one of the reasons, a take-home take home message was this, that you, know, you always want to do the best practice and take precautions, wash your hands, wear masks, because the best way to, the best, the best case scenario is prevention. You know, Prevention is the best solution than actually fighting it off by yourself because why go through all this trouble and letting your body go through this whole war internal war you know if you can just prevent it yeah and you're exactly right they say at the end of the paper is that they think that their data in this paper could suggest that there there are risk of using COVID-19 immunity passports and they put those in quotes immunity passport being that okay you've been infected once so you're good your antibodies are going to be stable and they're hinting that Okay, don't go, don't go too quick. And they, they want to support the prolongation of public health interventions, which includes social distancing, hygiene, isolation, and, and like isolation of the high-risk groups and widespread testing is very important so you can identify these outbreaks. And I think we're seeing the faults in us trying to accomplish that, especially here in the United States and places like Texas and especially Florida right now who opened back up probably, I would argue now, too fast with these spike in Corona, I don't want to speak for you, man, yeah. but if you agree with that, or people aren't, they're not following these types of, they're not being cautious. They're just resuming their, their lives. Like it never happened beforehand. And we're seeing these crazy spikes. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's kind of very new thing for all of us, you know? And the thing is that, you know, it's not hard for us to fight these type of things as human race, because we've been, you know, dealing with d- different viruses, different bacteria throughout our whole you know, span of human race. Yeah. So it just seems harder and it just feels a lot right now for the, you know, people who are going through it right now because, you know, we have never seen what other people went through with other disease back in the day, you know. But yeah. right now it seems hard. It seems a lot. And, you know, it seems like we're losing our life, quote unquote, like losing our normal life that we had before. But what the, 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 the message is that, you know, we have gone through so many viruses, so many bacterial infections that have caused plagues and mass uh like mass uh deaths and all that stuff but you know we have gone through all that and this is just one of the things and i'm 100 percent sure a human race will also overcome this in the end but you know we have to do it smarter yeah we have to do it smarter we have to uh 
make sure that we do, uh, we have the least amount of casualty in this quote unquote war and just have the best practice you know all we can do as an individual as a person uh, is just that you know you wash your hands wear masks just do social distancing for uh, for some time you know like it's uh, for about six months seven months and then things should die down things should come down where everything will be normal and we can return to our normal life soon yeah it's just it's just crazy to think about especially with the second wave coming yeah we haven't even talked about a third wave or anything but after reading this paper i'm not convinced that we're not going to see a third, maybe fourth, maybe fifth wave knows, where yeah. these people who haven't been infected and, you know, they're going to go back to their normal lives. And it's unfortunate. Like I don't, I, in Michigan, it might be different because I'm, I'm in Ohio now and I see, I see these bars, I see these stores and people are acting like nothing's going on. And it's, it's very scary. And these second waves are going to come. And I don't know, like, what would you say to somebody who doesn't want to wear a mask and wants to go out and just, party like i mean obviously being around our age obviously obviously i would just say you know partying is not the way to go even if let's just say you don't want to wear a mask uh yesterday um i went to the beach in muskegon and you know not that many people wearing masks but if you think about it at the beach everyone is kind of doing social distancing anyway like no one is going Mm -hmm. up to one group to the other group saying hey let's go let's do this let's do that people are just usually residing in their one group like I went, my, I went with my family. It was my mom and my uh, my papa, like my dad. I call him my papa. But you know, we just went and you know had a dinner and then you know came back after a while. We didn't communicate with anybody else. It was just us three, just you know walking on the beach. So at the end of the day, if you're doing normal things and you don't want to wear a mask, I would still, I would highly, highly recommend to wear a mask. But if you can't and you have some type of problem with breathing, wearing a mask or some type of things going on, I would say do some type of distancing about six feet to seven feet distancing is critical. It's very critical. Like, like I said, you know, um, if you can't wear a mask, do other things that can reduce your chances, reduce the risk of getting it or infecting others. Yeah. It's just, the partying is a no go, you know, partying is a very big, (laughs) some people will fight and think about it, man, that mindset, a lot of, a lot of businesses rely on that. Like, especially bars, clubs, Um, it just liquor stores and all these other places. I mean, even though people can drink inside the house and things like that, but you know, restaurants and all these things that that make a living off of the social lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, they're under pressure right now, and so I think the reason why we're seeing the second wave is just because people are under pressure financially. They are. I mean, there's a lot of burdens of going under lockdown. Yeah, they are. But I would also say this is that the government is doing the best it can do to help these businesses because you know I. As I come from a you know business family also, and you know I've seen the government yes. helping our fam our business family and family business in a way where you know if you have a loan to pay to a bank or anyone else, they will mitigate that loan for a certain amount of time, about six months, so you don't have to mm-hmm. pay money to the bank. You know the interest and the principal you have to pay that you took out of the loan. You don't have to do that. They also gave us a PPP loan, which is like a payroll uh, loan. So for example, it's not a loan. Like it, they're basically giving the businesses money to keep the employees employed for example it was a it was yeah it was a certain number of payrolls that yeah covered. they just flat yeah. out covered so them. for us it was you know all our employees so right now we've been running full staff and we can run full staff for a couple more months you know without even worrying about paying yeah. a dime from the business pocket you know it's the government is assisting a lot to the businesses so they can you know keep on uh, r- keep on running the wheel of economy and you know it doesn't slow down it just keeps on going right after the stuff kind of slows down that's what their whole end goal was so as of now if the second wave does not hit i think our economy should be in a good shape like might be a little hiccup but you can also see on the stock market too man it's been crazy oh my gosh dude don't even talk <laughs> about it man I, i'm sure nobody wants to like, no one knows where it's gonna yeah go. i don't really know. it's just like it's like i understand the pressure like especially like your family actually owning it yeah i can't even imagine because our business me i don't i don't own a business yeah. and i get it i see it and those small businesses who, I mean, they're not like Walmart. They're not like Amazon. They're not like Apple who can just have, they have so much money and so many assets and so many things to leverage. Like you don't have yeah. that as a small business. Yeah. And so I get the, I get the, the, I guess the, the importance the, of, like yeah, the, the importance of people like getting money. back to normal, yeah. like feeling that it's just like, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And I feel like we're, we're so like, like. I can't think of the word. Like we're just so we want to get back to normal so bad 
that we're not even taking the precautions we need, even though we know what to do. Like, how many times have you heard the word social distancing in, your, in the last six oh months? Oh, my God. This is strange. Like, I'll never forget that word yeah, in my life. 100%. Like, it's saying, like, I mean, this is going to go down in social distancing. This is going to go down in history and the history books. People are going to be reading about 2020 and talking about, uh, you know, all these things that happened with COVID-19 and everything. But at the end of the day, I think also that keeps me grounded is a picture of what's going on in the other world. Like, you know, we can talk about these topics yeah. in our upcoming podcast about economy, stock market, and other medicine-related yeah. stuff. And also on, a, on, the, on, the, on the other thing is that we, are, we think we're going through it bad. Like, for example, people in America or as, as me as a United States citizen, you know, oh, I don't get to go party here. I don't get to go, uh, you know, bars and, and meet my friends and all. But like, when you look at India, when you look at other third world countries, like they cannot yeah. even do social distancing because if they do, if they don't go to work, if they don't do this, then they don't have money to just even pay for their food for that day, you know, like, cause there's no online jobs, quote unquote, for that many people in America, in, in India. Like it's the second largest country yeah. in the world, but it's, you know, it's a developing country. So not that people have access to internet computers, let alone laptops, you know? So people have to go work. And when they go to work, they're going to see people. They have to do a lot of manual labor, talking to people. Like, you know, that stuff is obviously very there. close proximity. Yeah, very to close people. proximity. And, even in America, even in America, the first people that lose their jobs are the people who are entry level positions. Yeah. And Struggling. when you think about that, when the economy shuts down and these big businesses are like put up against the wall financially, yeah. they're going to cut the, the lowest the lowest people on the on the totem pole. I know. Those people already face so many like risk factors when it comes to health determinants. Yeah. And just so many like they're just the discrimination and the lack of privilege, it's just it just exuberates. I think that this, like, I think horrible time for that. I think that also kind of I don't know, but it could have fueled the fire with the Black Lives Matter, you know, because like there were a lot of discrimination. Absolutely, there's a lot of discrimination going on in the world, and you know, in America for sure. And you know, the first people, like you said, are getting laid off are the entry level people. And you know, who are the entry level you know people? The struggling family, and they don't have all these little assistant programs that are provided. Not everyone can. Not everyone pension funds and stock portfolios and all these things. Yeah, that's a great point to make. And you know, I'm 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 a white male, so I can't speak on Black Lives Matter, and I can't speak. I mean, I I understand. I'm I don't understand, but I'm here to help, and I get that. It's just, I just it just it's just awful. It's crazy to think about that. It's just because you know the people who are getting affected the most aren't the people at the top. It's the people at the bottom who are going to be feeling this economic and the small business owners who want to get back to work. And so I think the problem, I think I was trying to get out earlier, is that these people, like there's people who want to party and they just want to act like this thing doesn't exist. But we just saw like, you can be asymptomatic, which like, I think people just like, asymptomatic is like, same thing as not having the disease. They'll go out and yeah. socialize without a mask. And that's like so dangerous to people's health. I know. And people's businesses. Yeah. And it can spiral America out of control. 100%. Which, like, and, and to to wrap to wrap it up and condense it for the general audience that's listening to us is just that the reason we wanted to pick this article was that it showed two important things. One is how do we distinguish between asymptomatic and symptomatic patients, and the second thing that it kind of showed was kind of interesting was that not everything is set in stone. In the in the end of the paper, it was talking about the asymptomatic patient um, are twenty percent of the total positive patient in America, and in uh, uh, Singapore, it's about 10, and in China, is about 15. But like I said, the numbers are changing from country to country. Numbers are changing from day to day and week by week mm-hmm. or month by month. So as new information comes out, uh, the guidelines will More change. testing's completed. Yeah, guidelines will change and how to react to these type of things, the new medication, everything will be changing. So the important thing is that, you know, you want to be keeping up to date. But one of the most important thing that will not change and stay constant is protecting yourself and protecting your family and doing everything with caution, you know, washing your hands, maintaining some distance with the other person. Cause you don't know who that guy met seven days ago, even though he's one of your closest friends. Exactly. Do you know, he that's met? why I worry that the asymptomatic levels could be so much higher. So much because higher. I know. How do you, how do you, like you can track down somebody who like, for example, out of Michigan state, yeah, that bar, yeah, Harper's <laughs> shout out. To, I knew Harper's would be the one to do it. Like, they would be the one to, to start a hot spot. Yeah. And they did. And they, they were able to track down everybody who went to that bar. That's easy. What's hard is 
What about the people who went into 7-Eleven after they got out of the bar to go get a drink? 7-Eleven. And then who did the cat or, or go? Yeah. Who'd they go hang out with at the afterwards or after the bar? And you know, they some of them woke up next morning and went to go get some breakfast. Yeah. And you know, some of them went to the store. And how do you how do you account for those things and all those people they interacted with there? And, and then and then you even might, in the bathroom. And then you might say that oh my, one of my closest friend you know he's been doing social distancing for the whole month. He's just a waiter at you know the breakfast place and he met this guy. And then you think he never met anyone and you think he's you know negative, but he's actually asymptomatic corona patient. So like there's a lot of things and, going on. And going back to the paper where they say that look these asymptomatic people even though they're not showing symptoms. They still have the potential to infect everybody, and potentially they can do it for longer than the people who are symptomatic. And I have a thought. Oh, one second. Yeah, just one second. All right. Um, yeah, just one second. <laughs> but that's why I was saying to wrap it up. That's one of the reasons we chose this paper, you know? Yeah. And a closing point is I, it, a quick question I want to ask you that I had written down is do you think that the symptomatic people, um, were less viral shedding because they were the ones who were getting cared for. They were constantly monitored. Maybe do you think that could have made a difference? No, that's a very, uh, that's a very interesting point. And you know, it could have, like, I, I, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Cause like, you know, I could argue for both sides and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like what I would just still say and let the listeners know, is just that, it could be two different things. It could the both could be correct in different areas, different time point. So the best thing you can do is just take precautions. You know. Yeah, and that's that's definitely the take home message is like you know we're we're still in this thing and yeah. we're going to be in this thing for, for a long period yeah. of time. And like it's important to get back to work and get these businesses up and running again, get the cash flow going again 100%. for our economy. But there's a right way to do it, and there's definitely a wrong way to do it in places like Florida and Texas and all these other hotspots. We're quickly seeing what happens when you don't take those precautions and yeah. I'm not trying to scare people, but like, <laughs> let's, we can, it takes it, social distancing is very something that you can do putting on a mask. I understand that's, you know, it's like a Liberty. Like you, it, it's, it's annoying sometimes, but it, it's the things we got to do to yeah. get through this and we will get through it. We 100%. always do. hundred percent. So, so as a closing point, uh, like we said, you know, we've been talking about many topics. It, it doesn't have to be coronavirus or medical school related. It will be anything like economy and businesses, what's going on in the world with um, culture or music or anything like that, you know? So join yeah, us back on the next just, episode of Keeping It yeah, Simple. Yeah, thanks for listening to episode two. It's Keep It Simple. I mean, I'm Jack Saswell and I'm with my co-host, Matthew Patel. Yeah. Uh, I'm, if you listen this far, thank you very much. If you like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Find Anchor. That's what we're yeah. on right now. Those are two platforms. And All right. Can't Have wait a to good catch day, guys. Time, so. Yeah. Bye. Take it easy.